Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, I'm John Elledge, and this is Skylines, the Cinematic Podcast. In fact, this is this is the election special Skylines. We are, as we record this, it's Thursday. We're seven days from Britain going to the polls. Although I learnt from Stephen Bush in in this morning's uh, meeting that a quarter of the votes have already been cast via postal ballot, so maybe the results are already clear. We don't know. Well, I mean, sorry, I should introduce myself. Wait to be introduced, Patrick. Sorry, anyway, Patrick McGuire's here to tell me about what's going on in the blundering in, in, as in work, as in my personal life, blundering in where I'm. Anyway, so you you raise an interesting point about postal votes, John. I don't know if anyone saw. Don't know why I'm addressing your audience as if they're going to speak back to me, but. Michael Crick did a video with Dominic Raab earlier this week in Isha and Walton, and he said, Dominic, who is at risk of losing that leafy Surrey commuter belt seat to Lib Dems, he said, are you worried? And he said, look at the postal votes, Michael, which is actually an offence punishable by up to a six-month prison sentence or a £5,000 fine. Parties are allowed to go to the opening of postal votes, but they're not allowed to look at them or indicate what the result might be as a result of that because it's a criminal offence. I am shocked that a man of the of the high calibre of Dominic Raab, who I've taken describing as a haunted Crichton costume, just in the hope that that catches on as a meme, I'm shocked that he would be saying anything ill-advised or foolish or re- really anything bad. I mean, well, a, a, a giant in, among us, really. <laughs> in fairness to Dominic Raab, at this stage in the campaign, you do tend to get parties definitely not telling journalists or panicking among themselves what the postal votes they're not meant to have seen tell them about what might be happening and also it's fair to say that Tory voters are more likely to vote by post so even if parties did look at postal votes which you know they're all they all abide by the law and definitely don't do that no one's ever done that it would give you a skewed picture anyway but Stephen was right in our meeting to point out that the election has been happening for some time and in some constituencies swing constituencies a lot of a lot of stuff's already happened Okay, so this is this is interesting. I thought it'd be a good idea to get Patrick in 
Because you've been travelling up and down the country to all sorts of exciting seats. Over land and sea. Yeah, you've been you've been to Northern Ireland. We, we do a lot of good work in Northern Ireland these days between you and uh, Alva Ray, our, yeah. our other political correspondent, which is nice because, you know, a lot of the British media have, have largely forgotten that Northern Ireland exists and is part of the UK. And now we remember it too much, frankly. Well, maybe, maybe we'll cut that bit, we'll see, depending on how much trouble we want you to get you into. But yeah, I just thought it was a good opportunity to kind of ask about some of the some of the regional patterns you've been spotting in vote share and, and attitudes. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the nonsense I've picked up via Twitter and then you can tell me I exactly can debunk it or can verify it. So my impression is that London maybe is sort of on the path to 2017. Yep. It was quite fragmented, but the closer we get, the more people who are vaguely sort of left liberal are thinking, oh God, they don't want a massive Tory majority. And so are holding their nose and swinging behind Labour. I think that's certainly true. Where there are, there are key differences, there was a London poll that the Evening Standard had earlier this week that had Labour back up to 48% in the capital. That's still behind their 2017 thing. behind their 2017 thing, which is, which is where the book comes in. What Labour almost did in 2017 was win Chipping Barnet, they nearly won Finishing Gold, Golders Green, they nearly won Hendon. These are the seats with big Jewish communities. Yes, it's kind of the through line. Here. Whereas some people, some people are confident, and indeed the Yugov MLP had Labour nearly winning Chipping Barnet, which Theresa Villa's seat only a three hundred fifty-one majority. But in the other seats, I think it's fair to say that Labour are not going to repeat their twenty seventeen. Although the left is pour, uh, pouring time and energy into Hendon, so you know, let's see what happens. And in last year's local elections, it's worth saying that the London Borough of Barnet is an outer London borough that kind of bucked the trend towards Labour in London. Yeah, I mean, in any other Probably year... Probably because it's it's the most, 100%. the heaviest concentration of Jewish voters in, in Britain. In any other year, with any other Labour party, with any other Labour leader, they would have won that council at a counter. So obviously, that's the one of the big what-ifs in London. There's also a live question as to whether the Lib Dems could hold on to seats like Tom Brakes, Carl Shelton and, and Sutton because they're, you know, Sutton was a borough that voted to leave. So it's an interesting question there. But broadly, I would be surprised if we had a result that was significantly different to 2017. Obviously, what seats might flip? Kensington City, London, Westminster. Let's see who the best Remain candidate there is, but we'll see. Well, just before we move on from London, I've noticed people keep referring to the cities of London and Westminster as two cities, which I've not spotted before. Is that is that kind of a new thing people are doing, or has it always been referred to I, that I way? I think it's, it's been a fairly it's a fairly well established shorthand, mainly because it's so chewy mm, to it, say cities of London and Westminster. Also, it's sort of it's weirdly pleasingly American. I think it's which you know, and and ev- twin everyone in, in British politics is, is obsessed with the West where, Wing. Where, where is it? Twin Cities, Minnesota. That's Minnesota. Yeah, isn't yeah, that's it? what it's reminding me. It's, yeah, it's uh, Minneapolis. Listen, St. Paul. Anyway, moving on from London. So, in in the South, more broadly, that was where we were probably, if we were going to see a kind of big swing to the Lib Dems in Tory seats from you know Tory Remainers who are perhaps worried about Britain's membership of the single market. They're perhaps worrying about the economy in a way that hard Brexit is not a good policy for them. That's where we'd expect to see the Lib Dems posing a threat to the Tories. The vibe I'm getting is that for all the talk of that at the start of the campaign, there's probably not as much of that as was discussed. Is that, that, is that right? That is, that is completely fair to say. In a, lot of, in a lot of these seats, the Lib Dem increase in the vote is not to be sniffed at. There are several things to consider. The first is that in a lot of these seats, Labour's 2017 vote share was massively increased, mainly on the back of Remainers, so they have quite a, Lib Dems have a battle in squeezing that down completely. The second is, and the most significant thing that we've all forgotten, is that there is a very important word in the phrase Tory Remainers. And yes. for most voters, it seems, every pollster will tell you this, that 
there is a hard core of Tory Remain support that just won't budge, it's around 20%, that won't even think about voting for another party. We forget that actually not everybody is Michael Heseltine or Stephen Dorrell or Chris Patton. Their attachment is to the party more, or, or their aversion to the Labour Party, mm. their attachment to Remain isn't strong enough to overcome that. So, you know, Tory Remainers are still Tories, let's not forget. They, they haven't been dislocated from their political allegiance completely and when push comes to shove it's Brexit or Corbyn a lot of them are picking Brexit well this to my mind was the story of 2017 right it's uh, for all the talk of of like collapsing party allegiances which is a real phenomenon which has been very big in British politics over literally decades I get the impression there's a lot of people out there who are politically motivated not so much by loyalty to one team but by their aversion to the other yeah and this is this is the defining thing of first past the post our elections in this country are, do you want a Tory government, yes or no, vote accordingly? Or do you not want a Labour government, yes or no, vote accordingly? And interesting, this what motivates Labour members, Tim Bale and several other academics from Queen Mary University, great man, I'm sure he's a friend of this podcast, released a very good book called Foot Soldiers, which is the first proper academic study of party members and basically what motivates Labour Party people to join the Labour Party is because they hate the Tories not because it's not necessarily a positive gesture yeah so you're right to say that this is an election about what do you dislike most for Tory Remainers that's the question and now Boris Johnson is proposing not a no deal you know he's got a deal you know it's an orderly Brexit for, for now let's not get into what happens in the cliff edge in 2020 it's no longer quite as horrifying a proposition as it was when a Tory you know, majority isn't as horrifying a proposition to those voters as it was when the Lib Dems won't revoke. It's now, it's not a reasonable position, but it, seem, it seems like one. So yeah, it does feel a little bit like we are seeing a lot of people who are like broadly anti-Tory or anti-Labour flowing back to their natural party, yeah. but perhaps more on one side than the other, which is why we're now going to move on to talk about the Midlands and the North. So, so the Tory strategy has been very much based on the idea that they can peel off enough sort of culturally Brexity votes in a lot of traditionally Labour seats. So people with like traditional conservative social values, probably not rich necessarily, but comfortable sort of homeowning middle-aged people and they are more concerned about combination of being like, you know, pretty Brexity, but also concerned about what a radical Labour economic policy would do to them. And the Tories are kind of hoping to peel off enough of those guys to kind of get a few se- dozen seats over the line. It feels like maybe that's not been a completely crazy plan. What's, no, it, what's uh, it feel like on the ground? Bad for the Labour Party is what I would say. Even Terrific. The pe- even, even the people who have been sent by the Labour Party after that Yugo MRP to proselytise and you know win back these Labour heartlands privately are really pessimistic but obviously this is this is a longer listeners to the podcast will know and love urbanism and cities and and, and demographics or whatever this is it's important not to get het up on the idea that this is all about 2016 obviously that, that has catalyzed it but in a lot of these seats the nature of the purpose of the settlements has changed right your Bolsovers your Ashfields to a certain extent as the pits have disappeared the nature of the uh, the economic nature of these places and the sort of people who live there has slowly over generations changed well there's an internal brain drain right like basically if you grow up in Bolsover yeah and do well at school go to university the odds are you don't go back because that's not where the graduate level jobs are and, yeah and also what replaces them okay where in a lot of cases warehouses and distribution centers where eastern european people work but also call centres, office complexes, you know, so the shift is is away from heavy unionised labour to uh, lower-end white-collar 
white collar mm. jobs and uh, you know they become sort of more conventional commutery places which is the striking thing Matthew Paris wrote this about Bolsover in 2017 as a former Derbyshire MP he was like okay yes this is it'd be a huge moment and Brexit will help catalyse it and a version to Cornwall help catalyse this transition but it's already happening you know Bolsover is becoming a a dormitory town for you know Derby or Nottingham a dormitory area there's no town called Bolsover mm. yeah no it's as as the long term listeners will know in 2016 I also covered the the Trump election in the US and what really struck me about that was how those rust belt towns in places like Ohio look a lot like the north of England it's places where like old industries have gone nothing has kind of appeared to replace them necessarily and there has been this internal brain drain, so the demographic profile is, is different. They're now older, they're whiter, they tend to sort of lose young, educated yeah. people. And those are the places that in Britain have historically voted Labour, but voted for Brexit, and in the US have historically voted Democratic, but are starting to drift into the Republican column. Mm. And that the fact this is happening on both sides of the Atlantic suggests this is not a Brexit-specific phenomenon. It's yeah. about broader economic forces. Yes, exactly. So my big question is, like, can you distinguish between different regions of the Midlands and the North? Because again, wow. this is okay. This is this is one of those things where I don't know if this is just nonsense. But I have been getting the impression that maybe the West Midlands is looking more fruitful for the Tories. Parts of the Northeast, perhaps, maybe not so much the Northwest. Is so, that is there any truth to that, or is this nonsense? I, no, I think I think you're broadly correct. So several things to pick up there. The West Midlands has always been slightly more fertile ground for the Tories. Enoch Powell, for instance, was the uh, MP for Wolverhampton Southwest. You know, and those seats in in the Black Country and in Birmingham have always been more. Not that Birmingham is going to flip blue this time, but the West Midlands Black Country area has always been more susceptible to Toryism. It's a very different economic history. Like we do tend to bundle them up together, and it's often forgotten that as late as the early 1980s, the Midlands was as rich as London. Yeah. Whereas the North wasn't. The North's economic crisis starts before the war whereas the midlands is doing quite well until really the big bang yeah and the east so the and then you have the east midlands your bassett laws your boltovers your ashfields your mansfields your northeast derbyshire's the latter two of which have already gone tory and are staying tory if you gov is anything to go by things look bad for labor there you know the, those are your coalfield towns that but crucially have also been trending tory over the past two or three elections then you have the North East your Bishop Orton's etc again places that have been trending Tory and also as, as, as somebody pointed out on Twitter yesterday it's easy to forget that despite the tales of ancestral woe and hatred of the Tories some of these places were getting 30-40% of the vote for the Tories in the Thatcher era mm. and Ashfield and Workington to pick two of the most evocative examples of this election at random both elected Tory MPs in the 1970s at by-elections. So it's not accurate to say that it is, you know, a once-in-a-generation heresy for these places to elect Tory MPs. I don't know how long a generation is. Yeah. It's not unthinkable in these yeah. places. In the northwest, beyond the conventional marginals, your Berry South, your Berry North. Berry North is another quite Jewish seat, isn't it? Uh, no, Berry South. Berry South, Berry South, so, South Because yeah. that's sort of got Prestwich. And, you know, Labour, Labour have now privately said that's not happening after Ivan Lewis endorsed the Tories. Their hope was Ivan Lewis would pick up votes from disenchanted Labour voters over anti-Semitism. Ivan Lewis, the former Labour MP who accused of sexual harassment, then quit the Labour Party, citing you know the, the delay in this case and, and his handling of anti-Semitism, has now endorsed the Tories. It is one of those stories with, when no one comes out well on no, that one, do they? No, yeah. nobody no, at no, There all. are no heroes there. <laughs> but beyond the conventional marginals, Blackpool seats as well, Blackpool South and Blackpool North indeed, 
there is no real there, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be any significant mm. chances of stuff falling and the really striking thing in the northwest actually is two conventional historical marginals out of thin air Lancaster and Fleetwood and Sefton Central which was once Crosby both of those were what you would call just ordinary laboratory marginals the striking thing about no matter how badly labor are doing is that they're going to hold on to both those seats quite handily which tells you something about how that voting patterns you know why, why do you think that is it's a really good question i don't know i think it's demographic change crosby has always been quite a wealthy seat mm. sorry seven central but I, as i think i've spoken about on this podcast before there is a process of scousification in yeah, the people moving out of liverpool people moving out of liverpool and they they continue suburbs. to vote as if they're in yeah. liverpool I don't think Labour are going to win Southport, sadly, for, for those of us that grew up in Southport yearning for a Labour MP. I think the Tories are going to increase their majority there. As Lib Dems are, uh, it's all right, I grew up in Romford. Like, you know, it's like, uh, and on, then, on Havering Council, the Tories are the left-wing option. And then and then you have places like Ancaster Street, you know, lots of graduates, fairly, fairly pleasant place. So, again, and, and that speaks to the sort of the broader, the yeah. bigger global trend, which is the defining divide being education rather than socio-economic class. Yeah, the shift of commuters is kind of are people being pushed out of the cities or like, or in, in the case of Merseyside, I imagine it's more a choice they're making yeah. rather than a thing about housing costs and the way it is in London. But that is now having an impact here as well where there are outer London seats that have trended redder such mm. as uh, Ian Duncan Smith's Chingford and Woodford Green because people are being priced out of Hackney and Walthamstow but they're not sort of shifting values when they when they move out. And that's the interesting thing about places like Eastern Walton, Donny Rob's sorry commuter belt seat. The sort of flavour of those constituencies is changing from golf clubs and jacks to yoga mats and chai lattes. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. So we've mostly been talking about England. It's important to remember there are other other countries in the United other Kingdom. Other constituents of country, constituents yeah. are let's, let's have a brief chat about Wales. So so the vibe I get with Wales is that the Tories were sort of hoping to do their sort of Northern Midlands trick there as well, but maybe that's not coming off so well and Labour is, is actually doing much better than, than it looked like at the start of the campaign. What's really winding me up about Wales is this idea that, again, it's the lazy reporting of, oh God, the horny-handed sons of... It's horny-handed, right? Horny-handed sons of toil. I mean, I hope so, because otherwise God knows what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, the horny-handed sons of toil, it's a patronising phrase about yeah. sort of working men. Among um, other things, the yeah, horny that, handed is, sons that is a thing it can mean. That is a thing the words horny-handed can mean. So, yeah, let's, the horny handed let's, sons, let's stick with that. The horny-handed sons of toil in Bolsover and Bishop Auckland and Cluid South and Anglesey could never dream of voting for the Conservative Party. It's going to be a massive wrench and it's going to be a massive realigning mm. election. The thing that annoys me about North Wales, and indeed Wales in general, if you look at the 1983 map, the Tories won loads of seats in Wales. They won 14 seats in Wales. It's not unthinkable that the Tories could win in Wales. 
separate that's separate to your question of are they going to sweep or perform in Wales? Probably not. Might they win those marginals in North Wales? Your Allen D sides, your Dellins, your Vale of Clwyd, your Clwyd South. Quite possibly, they're all very tight. George Grills, our Tony Howard scholar, feels weird to be saying that about somebody else, but I am quite old now. Has been, <laughs> has been, uh, has been on the road in Wales, and he gloomy prognosis from him. But in terms of sort of beyond marginal seats that they have won before, say for instance in '83 and and '92, I'd say the answer is probably not. Roger Awan Scully from the Wales Government Centre will will tell you the same. I think. Yeah. So just two two comments about that one relevant one not the non-relevant one which i'm sticking as a footnote is on the um most recent edition of the main new statesman politics podcast which was a live recording at the cambridge literary festival stephen bush talks at some length about starting to feel old which i always thought when that moment came it would make me feel good about my age it's like see it's happening to you too but it's but, just made you feel even older yeah it turns out he's still 10 years younger than me so i stephen is 10 years old. he is wow. i mean like he he's not been blessed with my genes but You've he is, in fact, as you noticed on my Instagram, which you should all follow, by the way, I posted pictures of me at the beginning and the end of the decade, specifically because I've not noticeably aged. But you haven't. I know, which is, this isn't going to last long. At some point, my face is just going to melt. But I'm clinging to this while I can. Anyway, moving on from that, it kind of feels with the whole, you know, Wales could never vote for the Tories in the same way that, like, you know, Scotland often likes to think of itself as a, as a left-wing country, it's because the Tories have kind of positioned themselves slightly as an English nationalist party, right? It's So, the, you know, I being mean, anti-Tory yeah. has become a sort of Welsh or Scottish identity and look, it because suits, it's a form of Englishness. Yeah, and it suits the bigger parties of anti-Toryism in those countries. For instance, Welsh Labour. No, we reflexively say Welsh Labour. That's the success of Rodri Morgan's clear red water strategy for you there. And the SNP, and before them Scottish Labour, to present Scotland or Wales as mm. a naturally anti-Tory place, when that, that just isn't, isn't actually true. Look at, say, Lembert Opic losing his seat in Montgomeryshire in 2010. Right, often, the sad truth is, for you know those of us who believe in Welsh exceptionalism, and indeed Scottish exceptionalism, is that actually even the national national questions don't insulate them from voting as other places do broadly? Well, they still contain people in their 50s who own their own homes yeah. and are frightened of a Labour government and like to drive cars everywhere. You know, all that stuff. There's still all the forces of Toryism except for the English. Plus, there's there's English people who move to these places. Let's, let's do Scotland very briefly. Scotland sort of feels to me like maybe the Tories are, are doing, again, better than they perhaps feared at the start of the campaign they might hold on to a fair few of their was it 13 seats they've got out there yeah Tories would be broadly fine I can't see them having that terrible a night for two reasons one Nicola Sturgeon has made this election into an election as, as, as much about independence as it is about Brexit mm. which suits the Tories and also you forget that actually 40% of Scotland or 38% before angry people write in voted, voted to leave, leave. Yeah. so if you can unite the leave vote behind you in those constituencies then stickly boo but Labour's going to be nowhere in Scotland, right? There, I was I was actually surprised when I looked it up and realised that they won seven seats there in twenty seventeen. They won seven seats. I thought they were still on two or three. All of them incredibly marginal, apart from Ian Murray, Edinburgh South constituency, who will be broadly he's, yeah, fine. He's pretty safe. He's the one who hung on in twenty fifteen. Yeah, he's the one who you know, which has as much to do with his enthusiasm for Hearts Football Club as it does about his. Well, actually, no, that is one of his qualities as a politician that he loves Hart Midlothian. Then the next one after that is Midlothian, which is Martin Whitfield's seat, which he has a 2,000 majority, and the rest of them are in the low thousands and, yeah, and, and sure. hundreds. 
you could have had them keeping two, and in a couple of others they are a couple of percentage points behind the SNP. But a common complaint you hear from you know voters, it's not as simple as squeeze the anti-independence vote, because a lot of in some of these seats there is a pro-indie Labour vote, especially in the central belt seats. You know, so it's not as simple as saying mm-hmm. the 20% Tory vote there, do everything you can to squeeze it, because in the process of squeezing that, it might become more difficult to hold on to what you already have. I'm not going to do Northern Ireland because it's too it's too complicated. Oh, we'll, I'll get down the rabbit hole yeah, as well. And, we're, and we should be we should be drawing this to a close gradually. But I just want to very briefly ask about policy. Is anyone talking about policy? Is it coming up at all? Is like on the doorstep? Are people worrying about the housing crisis or, yeah. or buses or whatever it may be? The, the common gripe you hear to, to illustrate this with a, with a, with a, a vignette from my own hometown. I went to Southport and the candidates the other week, and I said, "What's the, what are the big issues here?" And each one of them said in turn, Lord Street, which is our mile-long Victorian boulevard, when Louis-Napoleon Bonaparte, later to become Napoleon III, was exiled to England for a period. He lodged on Lord Street, came back and Napoleon told... Napoleon III lived in Southport? Yeah, yeah. And then, I did not know then that. told Baron Hausman that he wanted tree-lined boulevards with broad colonnades, just like you see in Southport. And that is a fact. That's amazing. I knew that Birkenhead Park on the Wirral was uh, the model for Central Park in New York. I didn't realise the extent to which yeah, yeah. Um, the, the Liverpool city region I, had shaped the yeah, urban I world. Call, I call Southport the Paris of the North, as many other people do, but actually... Do they, uh, though? Yeah, 100%. OK. Uh, do, but Paris do any of them not live in Southport? Well, I don't live in Southport anymore. But but so, 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 just to, so just to return to your question, all three of them said Lord Street, which, you know, lots of empty units, etc., etc., Local issues are, are really what are animating people. I found the campaign trail. You know, you say, "What are you annoyed at here? No decent jobs. Infrastructure's crap. A and E has been downgraded. All everyone is talking about is policy." I guess the problem is it's overlaying on a national picture. Mm. I am finding it interesting. The Tories are clearly feeling the need to talk about transport in a way that's not been big for them. So they've offered five hundred million to reverse the beaching acts, which is you know, bugger all, but it's clearly like, it sounds like a big sum of money and old people who remember steam trains will be like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, but also, but also, like, the beaching, the beaching thing is, is a really significant thing because even if you... So, for instance, to return to Southport again, there's two stretches of line called the Burska Curves, which linked South... There is a, there is a town in West Lancashire called Bur- Burska, and there are two curves, one of which has been sort of filled in or uh, the track has been lifted, which enabled sort of direct trains from... Southport to Ormskirk, also in West Lancashire, and Southport to Preston. And now everybody, even me, I'm 24 years old, Dr. Beeching was dead before I was born, I think. You know what I mean? Like, you'd come to learn about this because there is a town 10 miles up the road or 15 miles up the road that you can't get to by train because it was closed or you drive to work or you cycle to work along a cycle path that used to be a rail, uh, used to be a railway line, which itself, you know, mm. speaks to the complexity of opening beaching lines. But the scars of derailed it, res- yeah. it resonates, right? And you know, but this is why I think get Brexit done is such a seductive pitch because, like, then we can move on to other then we things. can move on to this thing you're really angry about. Everybody knows that Parliament isn't. They broadly say uh, they can't do anything, you know, which is why I'm the guy who makes that stop, and you know, I will reopen the Burska curves. Okay, I mean, I also think it's interesting. The Tories of, as we record this, they came out yesterday with a 4.2 billion pound fund for the big English cities outside London to kind of invest in transport. Now, again, that's that's actually, that's not a ridiculously small sum of money. It's only when you split it eight ways, it's like, yeah, this won't do very much. But the fact that they are talking about this does feel like a shift from, from really where the Tories have been for decades. Yeah, yeah and, and also, like, it is central government accepting responsibility, right? It's not Osbornism, it's not devolution, it's not 
I will mm. give this to Andy Burnham or Steve Rotherham or Dan Jarvis. Yeah. Like, also, it's that, your problem now, mate. Yeah, that money is also on, on will be available to West Yorkshire, which mm. is the one major urban area that hasn't gone down the mayoral route. So we might far. finally see the Leeds Super Trump. Yeah, which which is another thing, right? Like, if you live in Leeds, you're aware that for thirty years it's been constantly promised and you've, never been, you've wanted yeah. a Super Trump. In which time, you know, cities in Poland and China have built thousands of metro, well, not thousands, but dozens of metro lines. And all for lack of, you know, yeah. municipal and central government will. Yeah, biggest urban area in Europe without some kind of metro network. This is Leeds, Bradford, West Yorkshire collaboration. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. I should very briefly ask: Is anyone talking about housing? Yeah. Whether it's necessarily housing for its own sake and just I can't afford a house, or because in a lot of places, one of the I don't know what you think about this, but the government is slowly building more bloody houses. Private new builds are. Popping it, up in places, yeah, it's up. It's and not, the interesting thing, not necessarily in the right places. Yeah, no, but, well, that's that's the thing, yeah. right? So, so in, in Ashfield, bizarrely, one of the big talking points of this election, Jason Zadrozny, the independent leader of Ashfield Council, one of his big selling points is, "I stopped the development of eighteen hundred houses." Oh God! Sort of partly out of nimbyism. In a lot of places, there are plenty. There is plenty of housing, as you say. It's not necessarily in the in the right places. Yeah. We should definitely be wrapping up, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot and say, Patrick, what's gonna happen when the exit poll comes out? What's gonna happen when the exit poll goes out? Well, a hush what? will fall over Sushi Samba where we're having our and the new statesman's pa- election party is happening. Party. Yeah. What's gonna happen when the exit poll drops? I think David, no, Hugh Edwards. God, that's gonna be weird. Hugh Edwards will will say, and it's the Conservatives who are the largest party. And I'm not gonna be drawn on what happens after that. Okay, I think they're going to get a majority. I think if they do get a majority, it'll be quite small. It'll either be quite small or very big. I I reckon. I don't. I don't think we'll see a majority like the Ugo poll suggests, sixty-eight. I think it'll either be, it'll fall either side of that. I okay. I, I'm I'm going to put my neck on the line and say I reckon Tory majority thirty to fifty, worst Labour result in decades, and we're all very depressed. Yeah, I think. I think you're probably correct. I think we will see a Labour result just north of what Michael Foot got in 1983, which was 209. But anything can happen in the last week campaign. Differential turnout among young people. Yada, yada, yada. Could yet be wrong. We could have another long parliament. Well, by the time Skylands comes back for its Christmas special... I look like an idiot. You will, know, you will all know the result, so may God have mercy on our souls. We'll see you next time. been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Anage, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast, or whatever other app you use to get your, your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to, to tell other people we're here? It, you know, it really helps people discover the show, and I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling 
all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 